Hello, my name is Daniel Nenny, founder of SemiWiki, the open forum for semiconductor professionals. Welcome to the Semiconductor Insiders podcast series. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please post it on semiwiki.com and we'll get right to it. My guest today is Dr. Naveed Sharwani. He's a well-known semiconductor industry veteran with over 35 years of entrepreneurial engineering and management experience. He is widely recognized as an innovator and leader in the field of design automation of ASICs and microprocessors. Naveed now serves as CEO of Rapid Silicon, aiming to drive the next wave of innovation by using the open source to disrupt the FPGA industry. Welcome to the podcast, Naveed. Thank you. Nice to be here. So, Naveed, let's talk about IoT. What is your view of the Internet of Things as an industry? I think... Uh... The concept of uh, Internet of Things came about many, many years ago, but I think we did not have, and I think it was ahead of time, uh, but now, now that we have 5G is rolling out, now that we have uh, AI on the edge, uh, we have uh, enough cloud infrastructure and the latency and the bandwidth required. I believe this is going to be the decade of Internet of Things and I've seen it uh, in some countries, uh, AI is being rolled out, uh, Internet of Things is being rolled out. I've seen factories which are fully automated. I've seen street signs, I've seen hospitals, I've seen schools. So I think it's happening. And I think in the next five to seven years, you will see that make a very major impact in how people live, uh, educate ourselves, uh, use facilities and things of that nature. So I think it's getting where it is start going to start making a major impact in industry and life, uh, how we live it. I agree completely. But how will the Internet of Things drive the semiconductor industry in the coming years? Well, I think uh, Internet of Things means that we would have smart sensors connected to everything uh, in the world so that we can get accurate, uh, immediate information which filtered through AI algorithms will make sure the information is meaningful and we are not loading everything on the cloud. That, first of all, we'll have to roll out all the sensors, then we have to roll out all the compute engines which make sense of this information, then we have to roll out all the devices that work off of it, and then the cloud infrastructure. All of that uses immense number and types and shapes of semiconductor, not just standard servers in the cloud, but all kind of sensors, some of them be made by different technologies than silicon technology. So I think it will not just have a narrow, deep impact on just the server business. It will have a very wide impact on various different type of semiconductors. It actually also have an associated impact on embedded software, storage that goes along with the internet of uh, thing sensors, so I think it, it will have a very broad impact. So what is the role of FPGA in sophisticated AI algorithms? I believe the, uh, the reason uh, FPGAs are playing a very important role in AI is the way we are learning AI is sort of exponential curve right now. Every two, three months, our knowledge of AI grows exponentially algorithms change, improve, so which, basic, which means that we, there is no fixed AI algorithm. AI algorithms have to be changing, Well, which means you have to have some kind of a flexible compute. 
and that is why FPGAs are playing a very important role. Wherever you're deploying some kind of an AI algorithm which is changing, you have to have some kind of a flexible compute. It doesn't really mean like a traditional FPGA. It means any kind of flexible compute. Uh, that may means an FPGA fabric inside of an SOC or FPGA fabric combined with other things. But in the end, you need some kind of a flexible compute fabric where you need to run your AI algorithm, which you know is going to constantly change and improve. Hence, uh, FPGA are crucial for deployment of AI. Right. So can you talk a little bit about edge computing and its benefits? Yeah, to me, I think I see a world where uh, the world will consist of a digital twin of essentially everything we do. And that is necessary because in order to optimize our factories, our homes, our workplaces, our cars, you need to create some kind of a digital twin so you could model it, so you can connect it. For example, if you just have a car, you need to be able to know the status of that car along with the status of millions of other cars, status of the charging infrastructure. And in the charging infrastructure, you need to understand the maintenance requirement of the charging infrastructure for which you need to know where those maintenance things will come from, from which you know who is making those things. If you connect all of those things together, and some societies have already done that, or some industries have already done that, all of that is only possible because of edge computing. You have to be able to know where the cars are, what are those cars, you have to know where the chargers are, you need to understand the status of all chargers, you have to know what these chargers are made of, who makes them, where those components come from, where are they shipped from, which are the trucks on which they are shipped, what is the status of those trucks. So I can keep on going on and on. If you want to connect your society, industry, and how we live end to end, that means edge computing everywhere. Why edge computing? Because you can collect the data from all these things, but it would make no sense. It would be too much raw data so you have to deploy some AI algorithm, which has to run on some kind of flexible compute. So edge computing is what is going to make sense of the data coming to you and only meaningful data goes up onto the cloud and part of the digital twin, not all the data, which may be overwhelmed. So Naveed, what is the significance of neuromorphic computing in the development of IoT? So neuromorphic computing, like a couple of other things that we are trying is that if you look at how iot things work the question is if you use a traditional one human architecture is that the right architecture to solve those set of problems increasingly what we are found finding out is that we started you know somewhere in 1940s or 1930s with a stand architecture which makes a lot of sense for solving standard classical kind of arithmetic kind of problems. But what we have discovered in the last 10 years is that we have to now become application specific. And you see that happening uh, across the board that more and more application specific uh, computing is being developed. And that exactly, uh, I would put that in that category as well. So for IoT, neomorphic would might be a very good model. So how about uh, traditional CPUs? Uh, you know, are they becoming less effective or less efficient with increasing data? And you know, what 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 are, what's the solution? I think uh, 
in old days when CPU vendors like Intel and AMD had no idea what kind of workload will be running on this CPU. So those were designed to be, you know, extremely general class processing engines. But I think 10 years ago, I, I would go back 2010, uh, where people like Facebook and others started asking the question, I'm not running a very mixed kind of a workload. I know my workload. So can you design a CPU that just runs my workload and no other work? I have to buy 1 million CPUs. Why do I need to buy a CPU that only 10, 20, 30% of the CPU area is dedicated to what I do and then I'm buying a whole bunch of silicon that I'm never going to use because I know my workload. So I think the challenge that traditional CPUs are facing is because of the workload and specialization they, uh, that's happening. And the demand in the market is People don't want to pay for the other silicon that they will never use. And since everybody knows their workload very well now, they know they have a dedicated chip for that workload, they would like to be all the silicon in the chip dedicated to the workload that they're going to run. And if there is some non, uh, something different, then some kind of a co-compute engine sets on the that which deals with the exception, rather than have a generic CPU, which doesn't know what kind of uh, workload is there and it is then not very efficient. So I think that's what is the story of CPU right now. It's not that they are less efficient. They are less efficient on a specific workload because they're designed for a general workload. And I think solution is people are going, as you see, Facebook is doing that, uh, Amazon is doing that, Microsoft is, everybody is trying to develop their own CPUs. Apple has already done that to define their CPUs, which are optimized for their workload, because they know their workload. Yeah, they also design the CPUs in concert with the software, right? So they can customize both at the same time. It's just the way the industry is moving. And in fact, you know, we just had a podcast with um, Andes, the CEO of Andes, and I want to ask you, um, how does the Andes RISC V uh, with custom extent extensions, et cetera, incorporate in FPGAs? You know, how does, how does FPGAs help with this? So I think, yeah, so the, the key thing is that when you're talking about an FPGA architecture, specifically for intelligent edge, that basically means that you need to run AI at speed and with, you know, just enough compute power that whatever raw data you are getting in real time, you should be able to process it and send just the more, you know, filtered, sensible data and make sense of uh, whatever environment you find yourself in. So typically people are using RISC-V cores for that. But the issue is that the RISC-V core should have certain custom extensions. And I think Edis is a leader. They have ahead of everybody else in providing those certain extensions, which are very, very specific to running the, those AI algorithms. So that's why I think it's important and this is where Andes has a leadership over others, is that their uh, CPUs are more suitable, are more efficient, uh, because it has to be extremely compact. So that's why I think Andes has an edge in FPGA compute for edge intelligent applications. Yeah, I, I agree. So what's the competitive advantage for um, you guys with the RISC-V with custom extensions? It's very simple. I think if you just buy a generic FPGA, uh, just like we discussed CPU, 
you will be buying a lot of silicon that you're not going to be using if you have the right risk five core with the custom extension and then you can apply this particular compute flexible compute engine for solving that ai problem ai uh, engine that you're running and nothing else so basically that means that this is the application processor that you were looking for for this kind of workload so i think that is very and this is exactly what people are looking for they do not want to pay for a whole bunch of other silicon so i think our quest is very simple can we develop an fpga with risk 5 with custom extension that would be just right to solve the intelligent edge uh, ai related compute problems and if you could do that that would be very good for the customers because they're not paying for anything that they're not going to use okay but specifically speaking you know why is incorporating high speed processors critical in fpga well the the story of fpga is an ever changing protocols so what is happening is that people are upgrading protocols and newer and newer protocols are being deployed which means more bandwidth which means higher in case of video uh, data rates frame rates so what does that mean means if you want to keep up because you know let's say you are watching a video on some kind of an edge intelligent device video only makes sense in that particular situation when it is live if you're capturing a video and you're trying to find a certain scenario in the video all of that has to be done at speed on the edge and only meaningful video has to be sent up on the cloud for analysis that can only be done if your processor has high enough speed to deal with the frame rate that is coming in same is true for any other data that is coming in which has to be done live or has to you know you might be doing packet inspection you might be doing some other applications like that all of them uh, as we are developing this field uh, there is a more demand for more resolution there is more demand for more accuracy there is more demand for better data all of that basically means more processing speed to handle that got it a final question to be uh, what are the key challenges of ai soc beyond computing and how is your company addressing that yeah i think uh, to me uh, we have not yet scratched the surface of using ai in soc or building ai soc most of the things if you see out there in ai is glorified matrix multiplication all right so i think to me it is actually an extremely exciting field we are just scratching the surface and discovering ai uh, and and i think it's going to be an incredible journey over the next 10 15 years when we start building very ai specific compute engines and i think that will happen as we go deeper and deeper into this field many exciting discoveries uh, are, are going to happen uh, i think this whole development with you know near memory compute in memory compute is going to play a big role combination neomorphic computing as we talked about is going to play a big role and then this whole encryption and 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 that goes along with how to securitize our, uh, the edge compute i think ai will play a big role in that and finally ai will also play a big role in how we develop chips themselves the eda part i mean some people have actually used in our own company things like chat gpt to write some rtl 
small pieces, not as big, but fairly decent code comes out of that. So AI can also potentially help in improving the efficiency of RTL designer, verification people, layout people. Extremely exciting things, I believe, are going to happen with AI and SOC. I, I agree completely. I, I think it's an exciting time. And I think AI is probably one of the more disruptive technologies that the semiconductor industry is going to see uh, because it's just going to make our jobs much more challenging, but also more fruitful for sure. Uh, Naveed, it's great talking to you again. I hope to see you more this year and talk to you again in excellent conversation. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking to you. That concludes our podcast. Thank you all for listening and have a great day.